Well, time has gone on, so it's going to be a short message, and we thank God for tender mercies. Yes, amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word today. May it uh, just continue to speak to our hearts. May we see and perceive and understand what the Holy Spirit would like to say to us today. Draw us close and encourage us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been going through uh, Acts chapter 16, and just to summarize very quickly, through very unexpected circumstances and events, God has been leading and guiding the Apostle Paul, probably in ways that he couldn't imagine when him and Barnabas disagreed and had an argument, and they split company. And the result was is that uh, two missionary teams now were on the road, uh, and uh, Timothy was now a part of uh, Paul's life, as well as Silas and Luke. And so there are two things that I've been trying to encourage you with from this story in the book of Acts, and that is, one, um, God is writing the entire book of our lives And sometimes all we see is the chapter at the present time. But remember, it's just a chapter, and God is writing an entire story. So you can trust that the Lord is working all things together for good, and that the chapter that you're in, maybe you're really enjoying it and you don't want it to end. I have bad news, it will. Or maybe it's really a trying chapter in your lives. Good news is is that God will bring you through. And the second thing that I've tried to encourage you with is that there are some things that are just past our pay grade. We just have to trust God. We're not going to understand everything or know everything, but the thing that God asks us to do is just to trust Him as we move through the seasons of life. So... With that in mind, we now are uh, moving in to the second missionary journey, and uh, everywhere that Paul wants to go in modern-day Turkey, where he planted the first churches, the Holy Spirit is closing doors and not permitting him to go to the places that he wants to go. And uh, one of the things that I try to encourage you with is how God answers prayer. And there's three ways, at least, that God can answer prayer. One is he can say yes. Two, he can say no, which is an answer. And three, he can say wait and grow. And so God has ways of moving and directing. And the end result was is that as the Holy Spirit did not permit Paul and his team to go through these places, he had a vision in the night of a Macedonian man, and Macedonia is northern Greece, where this man was begging Paul to come over and help him. And so they said, well, this must be of God, and they set out for Macedonia. So in verse 11, it says, therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city uh, of that part of Macedonia, a colony. Now, Samothrace is a stopover island in the Aegean Sea, and it's probably about halfway between Turkey 
which is called Asia Minor in the book of Acts, and the Greek mainland that they were making for, which is called Macedonia. Uh, it was a distance of some 156 miles, and we know that uh, the winds were at their back and favorable because they made the trip in two days, where in Acts 20, we will see the return trip took at least five days. Now, the first night, they laid over in the island of Samothrace under the towering presence of Mount Fergari Poseidon, which is about 5,500 feet high. And the interesting thing, and this is just a little bit of historical trivia, is that on this island was the famed statue of the winged, the statue called Winged Victory. And it was actually discovered and excavated in 1863. Now, another name for the, 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 the goddess uh, of the winged victory is the goddess Nike. And there is a company with a swoosh that has made a very good living from basically using uh, that label. And so, uh, if you'd like to know what the actual historical roots of Nike are, it was a Greek goddess of victory, and it was a statue of, almost looked like a woman uh, blowing in the wind with two wings behind her, looking over the sea, and the sense was uh, the Navy coming back to bring uh, great tidings of victory, and she be, this goddess was known as Nike, the goddess of victory. So, there you go. If it ever comes up on a trivia test, you're going to ace it. And then from there, they uh, sailed to the uh, port town of Neapolis, which was 11 miles from Philippi, and then they uh, basically hoofed it into Philippi, which was a Roman colony. Uh, it was first a Greek city, and uh, it actually uh, was named after Philip II of Macedon, who was the father of uh, Alexander the Great. And then when the Romans uh, expanded and uh, defeated the Greek Empire, it became a Roman city in about 167 BC. And it had a Roman blessing upon it. Uh, because it was a Roman city, they did not have to pay taxes. And many, many soldiers retired to the city of Philippi to basically live out the rest of their days. So it's a Greek city. It's full of retired Roman soldiers. And uh, Paul, for the first time, is in a complete cross-cultural uh, experience. He's in a missionary experience of dealing in, in a, another continent. He's in Europe now, and he's about to bring the gospel. So it says, and we were staying in that city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went out to the city to the riverside, and where prayer was custom, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, we know that in the first missionary journey, Paul's custom was to first of all go to the synagogue because he knew that there would be seekers in the synagogue where they would read the scriptures each Jewish Sabbath. And uh, if there was a visiting rabbi, and Paul was a rabbi, they would ask for him to give a word of exhortation, and he would share the gospel with them. But we know that there was no synagogue in Philippi, because according to Jewish law, to have a synagogue in a city, there had to be at least 10 males present 
uh, that led households. And so we know that that wasn't happening. And uh, according to Jewish custom and law, they said that if there was no synagogue, that the Jewish people should go to the nearest river to meet on the Sabbath for worship and prayer. So Paul and his company did exactly that. They went to the nearest river, walked outside the city on the Sabbath, and uh, sure enough, there are some people there, probably fellow Jews, who were there to worship. Now, interestingly, what we find is a small group of women along the banks of the river. And um, what is also important to realize about Philippi is that on the arches of the city wall as you went in, there was an inscription there that had a pro, uh, you were prohibited from bringing any unrecognized religion into the city. So it says in verse 14, Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. And she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. And the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now, this is interesting because it seems that the vision of the baptism It seemed like the vision of the Macedonian man was none other than a woman. Because the first person that they meet is Lydia on the banks of the river. And because her home was in the city of Thyatira, which is located in the Roman province of Lydia, it's possible that Lydia was not so much her personal name as possibly her name in business. And she could have been known as the Lydian lady. We don't know for sure. But here's what's interesting. Thyatira was noted for its manufacture of purple dye and dyed goods. Now, why is that interesting? Because Lydia was involved in a business of selling purple fabrics. And purple dye was one of the most expensive dyes to get your hands on, and to purchase because it was made from the glands of a muric shellfish, which you had to dive and find, plus the roots of the matter plant, which was prohibitively expensive. Purple is the color of royalty. It was, so we know that purple was worn by royalty and by the wealthy, and that probably Lydia being in the business of selling purple fabrics was probably a very rich lady, very profitable lady. So Lydia is a really interesting person to look at in Scripture because in the Roman world, women didn't have high status. But here she is, an owner of her own business and very profitable in it. And it just so happens that this is the person that the Holy Spirit led Paul to to share the gospel on the nation, uh, in the nation or the continent of Europe. It's also interesting to note that once Lydia became a believer, that she had a house large enough to accommodate the missionary team 
and further probably hosted the beginnings of the Philippi church. Now it says that Lydia was a worshiper of God. Does that mean that she was a Christian? I don't believe that that's what it means because it wasn't until she heard Paul speak that the Lord opened her heart to believe the things that were spoken. I would say that she was a seeker of God and that she knew enough of her own religious beliefs of the Roman Empire that, that basically was rooted in Greek mythology and the gods and the goddesses of the Greeks, that it left her wanting and she was seeking something more. As well, we know that she was fairly, probably wealthy, and even the acquirement of wealth through the lucrative business of selling purple hadn't fulfilled her either. And so she was seeking God through the Jewish scriptures, and she had come to the outside of town to worship or to seek the Lord. The other thing that I noticed in this text is that not only was Lydia a worshiper, seeker, but she was also a very attentive listener because she listened to what Paul had to say. Now, many of us can hear without listening. Many of us can hear the sound of the life-giving message of the gospel preached, but never really hear it. And the Lord Jesus said there are those who often hear, but they aren't actually listening. For instance, in his response to the disciples' query, why, why do you speak in parables to the people? Jesus replied, I speak to them in parables because while seeing, they don't see. And while hearing, they don't hear, nor do they understand. So, Jesus is saying there are people who have physical eyes, but they can't perceive spiritual reality. They can't see it. There are people who have physical ears, and they can hear, but they're not really listening. There are people who have minds to understand, which is what the heart is talking about, but yet they don't understand. Jesus said many times to those who were following him, if anyone has ears to hear... Let him hear. He said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He said to the disciples, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, blessed is the person who actually understands spiritual realities when they see them with their physical eyes, hear them with their physical ears, and understand it with their eyes with their hearts. Jesus said, blessed are you that you can see and hear what the kingdom of God is like and what I'm saying. So the simple point is, is that you can have physical eyes and ears. Doesn't mean that you'll actually see and hear spiritual realities. Let me give you an example of this. When the religious Pharisees were arguing with the Lord Jesus about who he was, and what he was doing, here's what Jesus said to them in John 8, 42 to 47. He said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceed forth and come from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? 
because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of the father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Why can't people hear spiritual truth? Well, because they're not ready to hear what the king and the kingdom is all about. But Lydia was not like them. She listened with faith to the saving gospel, and it says that the Lord opened her heart to respond to the message of the gospel, and she put her faith in Christ, and she experienced the wonderful uh, reality of her sins being washed away, and now she was a part of the family of God, and joy welled up within her, and to her companions, says that her entire household believed, and they were all baptized right on the spot. And you know, it's very interesting to me, because we're going to see this again in just a few verses, when the Philippian jailer gets saved and all his household, they immediately got baptized. And anybody that has put their faith in Jesus Christ, the first thing that the Scripture says that we should do is to make a public profession of an inner reality and find the nearest pond and jump in and say the old person's been buried with Christ and the new one has been risen with him. Amen? What an outstanding story, outstanding spiritual success. God opened the heart of a woman in colonial Rome. The city was the first where Europe was to hear the gospel and it would become a mighty beachhead for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I love what G. Campbell Morgan says about this situation, where one woman's heart in Philippi gets open to the gospel, and if you look at the big picture, it began the overthrow of Rome. Because some 300 and some years later, Christianity was going to take over the entire Roman Empire. And do you know where it all started? Right here on the banks of the river in Philippi. The first convert, the first woman to come to Christ. Here's what G. Campbell Morgan says, How little the world knows of the divine moments or the divine movements. Rome had small idea that day that the van of the army of its ultimate conqueror had taken possession of one of its frontal defenses. On the day when Paul hurried from Neapolis over the eight miles up to Philippi and came into the city and made arrangements for his own lodging, the flag was planted in a frontier colony of Rome, which eventually was to make necessary the lowering of her flags and the change of world's history. Do you know how Zechariah puts that truth? Despise not the day of small things. 
Now, there's a second woman that we come to, and it's, we uh, meet her in verse 16. Now, it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us and brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. The girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim the way of salvation. And she did this for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed to come out of her, and he came out that very hour. How interesting the things and the people God uses to make known his message and his love. Here we are introduced to a slave girl who is possessed by a demon. The original Greek behind the phrase, had a spirit, reveals the horror with which she was involved because the literal reading of that is she had a Pythian spirit or had a spirit of Python. Now, according to myth, Python was a snake that guarded the temple of Apollo and was eventually killed by Apollo. Later, in Greek culture, the word python came to mean a demon-possessed person through whom the spirit of python spoke. She followed Paul every day, and she called out to anyone who would hear after these men that they are servants of the Most High God who proclaim the way of truth. Well, That's really interesting because what she was saying, in fact, was true. So what's going on here? Well, I think Satan's strategy was obvious. To derail the gospel, he wanted to infiltrate the camp. He wanted to somehow get the people to believe that this slave girl, possessed by a demon, was somehow a part of of the Holy Spirit saving work, and nothing could be further from the truth. He wanted to distort the gospel just enough to twist it into some type of deadly heresy. Now, the missionary team, if they were carnal, could have done what a lot of people do today. Man, look at the publicity we're getting from this. Leave her alone. Man, there's people flocking to the church. Why not let her speak? But Paul would have none of it. And he didn't take the bait. And you know that every time that a demon basically came into the presence of the Lord Jesus, a demon would often cry out, have mercy upon me, son of God, or identify. And Jesus never, ever allowed or confirmed or let a demon speak in his presence. He always ordered them to keep quiet and ordered them to leave all the time because God does not need the devil for PR. Now, we're told that this slave girl was a fortune teller and therefore she brought lots of profit. She brought in a lot of money for her masters by her fortune telling. She was basically a clairvoyant owned by spiritual pimps who sold her for her so-called metaphysical powers. They didn't care for her personally. They just used her for the profit that she could make for them by fortune-telling. Do you know people always want to know the future? 
you can go to the paper, you can go to social media, and people are always reading horoscopes. They're reading about fortune tellers, tarot cards. They're always wanting to know what is beyond the grave. They want to know about Uncle Pete or so long who has passed away and can you reach over to the other side and communicate with the dead with my loved ones or my deceased ones. And much like this girl, these people that do this kind of stuff bring in large amounts of money. People pay outrageous amounts of cash to go and see what is in the future. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about the future. You could read the book of Revelation, for starters. But let me give you what the future holds in just a snapshot. Eternal life for those who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and accept Him as their Lord and Savior, and hell for those who don't. That's the future. It's not a great mystery, folks. The gospel is the message of God's great love that he wills that none should perish, but all should come to repentance and faith. But he gives every person the choice. And in rejecting the simplicity of the message of the cross, people often look for wisdom and messages in the most bizarre places, As the angels said to those who went to the grave of Jesus, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. And so here's the future. The future is Christ died for sin and for sinners. He said that he's gone to prepare a place in heaven. If it were not so, he would have told us. But he said, because I do, I'm coming back so that where I am, you may be also. But if you desire to have it your own way, at the end of all things, there's two things that will happen. God's will will be done in your life, or God will say, your will be done. And that's the future, in a nutshell. Thanks for coming. So, Paul looks at this girl, and he has great compassion on her. And so he is annoyed by this spirit who is tormenting her. And he turns around and he casts that demon out by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you'd think that the town would rejoice and everybody would be happy and that this young girl has been delivered from demonic possession, this Pythian spirit. But here's what happened. When her masters, verse 19, saw that the hope of profit was gone, They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And when they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. Folks, I'm telling you, the gospel troubles the commerce of sin. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up against Uh, rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. 
And when they laid many stripes on them, they threw him into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Paul had touched the profiteers' hearts, and the problem was is their hearts were in their wallets. We have the same disease today, really. And in the ensuing melee, false charges... Racial innuendos were arrayed against Paul and Silas. They were arrested. They were severely beaten with many blows. And then they were thrown into the inner prison and fastened in stocks. It looks like Luke and Timothy were spared because they were Gentiles. But notice how quickly the devil changes tactics. When he couldn't infiltrate he then tried outward persecution. And you know what is really amazing when you think about this story? Here is a young girl, a pawn of Satan, being used for nothing more than profit by their owners, is set free to be a human being. To be set free to be a human being to be a person that's not controlled by Satan who has come to steal and to kill and destroy. She is now forgiven. She's joyfully given hope. She's experiencing a freedom that I'm sure she has never experienced before, and the whole town goes bananas. They go nuts over the fact that this girl has been delivered from Satan and now is a believer in Jesus. How powerful is the battle for the souls of people? What else could explain this insanity? Except that the devil hates people so much that he'll do anything to take and drag people into hell, and God loves people so much that he will do anything to bring you into his presence and into heaven. What an incredible battle goes on around us. Because everywhere that Paul went, people are getting set free and delivered and healed. That as the Lord is healing people and saving people and delivering people, the town is going nuts and beating them almost to death. Such is the battle for the souls of people. How precious are souls to God. How precious they are that when people get their lives turned around and delivered and filled with joy, that those who hate God go to extremes and go absolutely, absolutely cuckoo for coca puffs to beat people who bring the life-saving gospel to people. How powerful is the battle for souls. And when you and I are walking around the city of Kelowna, do not be deceived. The battle is as real and as vicious as it is in the book of Acts. Satan doesn't want anybody to come to faith and repentance in the city of Kelowna. And he certainly doesn't want anybody from this church going out and telling people about 
the Lord Jesus. And so don't be surprised that the world doesn't get up and give you a nice hand and go, wow, that's so great. Thanks for telling me that I was lost. Thanks for telling me that I was a sinner. I so appreciate that. That's not really the reaction we get. How dare you? I'm as good as you. Well, that's not saying much. Man, if you knew half the stuff that I thought about, you'd hang me up by my thumbs. No, it's the gospel. It's the gospel. Christ came to save us. That's what Christmas is all about. God loved the world that he decided to do something because we were lost, so he sent his son as a babe who became a man and died on a cross. Everywhere you read in the book of Acts, wherever Paul and his journey went, preach the gospel, people get saved. Thessalonica, they said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. Man, that's some type of trouble that every city could use. In Ephesus, they laid many stripes on them and put them... uh, Uh, well, no, I got that wrong. Back to Philippi. They laid many stripes on them and they put them in prison. And not just prison, but inner prison. And they fastened their feet with stocks. You know, the officials that punished Paul and Silas in Latin were called lictors. And this is where we get the expression, getting our licks in. Because they put many licks upon Paul and Silas's back. So when we put the pieces of all of this story together, we marvel at God's orchestration. There's a split among church leaders over John Mark. There's closed doors. There is a small gathering of women at the river. There's a great miracle that happens which leads to great persecution. There's a severe beating. There's no trial, nothing, just thrown into the deepest bowels of prison. So what could possibly be next? Well, look at verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. And then he called for a light, ran in and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to them and all who were in his house. And they took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes, And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now they had brought them into his house. He set food before them, and he rejoiced, believed in God with all his household. So let's review. They want to go to Turkey to visit all the churches. God says, no, I want you to go to Greece. They see a vision of a guy. They go over and realize that it's a woman. They cast out a demon from a slave girl. And not only now is the door opening, 
there to preach the gospel, but another door is opening, prison doors. So there they are sitting in prison, beaten to a pulp. Hmm, what should we do? Hey, I have a great idea. Let's praise the Lord with prayer and the singing of hymns. And that they do. And it is a beautiful and powerful principle that we see in the lives of Paul and Silas here. R. Kent Hughes sums it up for us. Songs from the bowels of that miserable, vermin-infested pit. Yes, because these, those men's hearts... Let me try that again. Songs from the bowels of that miserable, vermin-infested pit. Yes, because those men's hearts... Uh, those men's heart realities exceeded their miserable circumstances. One commentator put it this way, how could the two missionaries praise God under such conditions? Because they understood what many Christians seem to forget, that praising God does not depend upon circumstances. Paul wrote, rejoice in the Lord always. Christians do not rejoice in their circumstances. Not even Paul did that. He knew what it was to experience affliction so severe that he wrote to the Corinthians that I am burdened excessively in despair, even of life. Christians rejoice in the glorious truth that the sovereign God controls every circumstance of life. We can say with Paul in Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. We can say with Peter, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. We can say with Paul in 2 Corinthians, therefore we do not lose heart, lose heart, for though the outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For this momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. Paul and Silas did not base their theology on their circumstances. Instead, they evaluated those circumstances in the light of what they knew to be true about God. Their songs expressed a confident trust that God could use their circumstances for their good and His glory. And in this particular case, they didn't have to wait long because as they were singing praise and worship... The prison was shaken to its foundations and the cell doors were opened wide. I'd like to just say something briefly here. You don't have to be in a prison with bars to be in jail. But I will tell you this. Prison doors, things that keep us locked up, keep us angry, keep us bitter, keep us fearful, whatever the case may be, they can be opened by the same truth that Paul and Silas show us, and that is that these things have to flee in the presence of prayer and praise. Well, literal prison doors might not fly open there are prisoners who can be set free emotionally and spiritually and in other ways to realize that God is in charge of your life and He is in charge of these circumstances.
The beautiful thing that I see here with Paul and Silas is that I don't believe they were praising God because they expected an earthquake. They were praising God because they realized they were not prisoners of Philippi. They were prisoners of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul often wrote that in his epistles. He said, I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul recognized that all of the jails that he'd been in and over his, over his lifetime for preaching the gospel was not because he was a prisoner of Rome or anybody else, but he was a prisoner of the Lord Jesus and that even in these places, God was in charge of his life. And even in your life right now, you can open many, many doors that are locking you up by realizing that God does love you and that you can sing hymns of praise and thanksgiving. And as they say, there's incredible power in praise because praise gets our eyes off of ourself and onto the Lord. It begins to remind us of who the Lord is, what he's done for us. And I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who when they would not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar, when they said, when you hear the sound of the lute and the harp and everything else, you'll bow down and worship this image. And if not, I'll throw you in the fire. And they would not. And when asked, how come you're not bowing down? I'll give you another chance. And they said, we don't need another chance, your fullness. Knowing this, that if you want to cast us in the fire, that's fine. Because the God in whom we serve is able to deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. Well, the Philippian jailer sees the situation and he's ready to kill himself because any prisoner that would escape, the jailer or the guard would forfeit their life because the way the Roman prison system worked is that if you were given a prisoner and that prisoner escaped, you forfeited your life for that prisoner. So he thinks the whole jail's gone, so I might as well fall on my sword, but He calls for lights and he sees that everybody is still there and Paul calls out and says, do yourself no harm. And then he asks what every person should ask before they leave this world. This is the most important question you could ask. What is it? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? If you haven't asked that question, you aren't asking the right questions and you haven't asked the question. Because as far as I'm concerned... What would it profit you, Jesus said, if you gained the whole world but forfeited your soul? And so the Lord, so this, this Philippian jailer probably had more insight than just about anybody that you read about in Scripture because he sees what's going on and he asks the most important question that anybody could ask. What must I do to be saved? Notice he didn't ask, what must I do to be improved? What must I do to add on to my already sterling resume? What must I do to add on to my uh, impressive list of good works? No. What must I do to be saved? Paul didn't suggest a system. He didn't say join an organization or a religion. He simply urged simple faith in Christ. He said, believe in the Lord 
Jesus Christ. So, I'm going to leave you with this. Have you asked yourself that question today? What must I do to be saved? I would say to you the same thing that the Apostle Paul said to the Philippian jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, plus nothing. Isn't that simple? You don't have to do calculus for me. You don't have to build a spaceship and fly it to Mars. You don't have to build an orphanage. You don't have to even help grandma across the street. You don't have to go down to the gospel mission and feed people. Because none of those things in and of themselves are going to save you. What saves you is simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in what he's done. Receive it. Accept it. And then notice what happens. The jailer's life is so transformed that he is immediately baptized, him and his household. He takes them out of the prison, ministers to their wounds, takes them to the house and feeds them and ministers to them because he now is no longer in jail. He is a free man as well. So in conclusion, here's the first church in Europe. Lydia, the merchant princess, an ex-Pythoness, the Philippian jailer, probably a few inmates, and there's the church. You can imagine them all, clothed and in their right mind, maybe tattoos from here to here and all around their neck, I don't know. The rich and the poor, the slave and the free, male and female, all one in Christ. And the flag of the gospel is firmly planted on the continent that needed it most desperately. What a life, skimming across the Aegean Sea, preaching by the river, delivering souls from demons, getting beat, taking their licks, singing in the night, earthquakes, shake up everything, prayer and, 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 and praise and singing hymns, and there they all are together serving an awesome God. Folks, may I encourage you today that whatever's going on in your life, you can sing hymns and praise Him. Chains will fall. Doors will open. Circumstances might remain the same, but you will rise above them, for you are the Lord's, and he is in control. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you so much, Lord, for your grace. And uh, Lord, if no one has ever come to this place of hearing the simple gospel, what must I do to be saved, then... I'd ask you to believe on the Lord Jesus today. I'm not asking you to put a check in the mail. I'm not asking you to join our church. I'm not asking you to be me, thank goodness. I'm asking you to believe on the Lord Jesus. And if you do, somewhere in your volitional nature, your will, you have to make a decision. 
And that decision is to believe in Jesus and to just simply, in your heart, say, Lord, I need to be saved. And therefore, I thank you that the simplicity is to believe upon you. And so, you're the one that died on the cross to take my sin away. And I believe that that is true. Take my sin away. Come and live in my life and my heart. And Lord, I will follow you. And not only that, Lord, but I will have the power to live in this life in the assurance that when it is time to check out and move beyond this world, that there is a home prepared by you in heaven awaiting for me. And so, Lord, I pray that you will hear my prayer and save me. In Jesus' name, amen. And I pray, Lord, for everyone that is in a trying circumstance. And if you are, I just want you, if you know the person beside you, you feel comfortable, take their hand because we're going to agree together in prayer for one another. Father, in Jesus' name, may the reality of, Lord, the words of Scripture just flood into their heart and their soul that this circumstance, this prison, this jail, that, Lord, you're greater than it, and you hold my life, and therefore I praise you, I worship you, I give you thanks, Lord, for I am yours. And there is nothing in this world, in it, above it, or below it, that, can, that is formed that can chain me because I've been set free by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I bless you, and I praise you, and I worship you, Lord God, with all of my heart that I am your child. In Jesus' precious name, minister that to our hearts. Amen. Let's stand together this morning. Normally, we'd have a song, but because we did uh, communion and a few other things, we're running a little over time. So, Father, bless your people and encourage them. Now, may the love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And all of God's people said, Amen. God bless.